Welcome to Fresh Pressed for August 11th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and old grooves, specifically 44-year-old grooves. Oh, is it somebody's birthday today, Andrew? Yes, Gabe. I turn 44. Sorry. Um, no, uh, it's, it's Ben Gibbard's birthday. But before we get to that, Gabe, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Uh, apologies for the hiatus last week. I was... Well, I don't need to get into it, but there was there was gastrointestinal distress all weekend and but I'm back and I'm well and it was not any sort of respiratory illness. Thanks for having me on the show, Andrew. You're so welcome. So Benjamin Gibbard. Benjamin Gibbard. Now our listeners might not understand or even know who Benjamin Gibbard is. Then are they really our listeners? That's a good point. That's a fair point. But in case, you know, in case they're, this is the first time listening, who is Ben Gibbard? Okay, fine. You didn't like that question. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was a rhetorical question. I thought that was like the beginning of your lecture on Ben Gibbard. Oh, I see. I forgot. I was, I need to go get my class notes from, from the course I'm teaching on major indie figures of the mid 2000s. (laughs) So Ben Gibbard is Andrew's favorite musician, most well-known for his participation in the indie groups Death Cab for Cutie and the Postal Service, although he has also done some solo stuff. His birthday is August 11th, which is today, if you're listening to this podcast on the day that it has dropped, Um, and he is turning the grand old ripe age of 44. And so we thought that in light of him being Andrew's favorite artist and it being his birthday and not having any better ideas for a theme this week, this would be perfect. You brought a song from Ben's better known project. We can call Ben, right? Ben. Yeah. Ben's my friend. All right. That's a Sun Kill Moon reference that not everybody is going to get. But Again, we made it on the podcast before. Yeah, but I mean, like... Are you a true fan of our podcast if you haven't listened to every single word and memorized it? Listen, we're not trying to gatekeep here, but... Or maybe we are. Yeah. It sounds like we are. It's not very good to gatekeep a podcast where not enough people listen to it anyway. What's enough? It's not like we advertise. Yeah. Are you going to tell us about your song, or... Yeah. So um, the song that I have chosen is uh, the uh, best song ever written, and it's called Steady Your Footing by Death Cab for Cutie. It's gotten late and now I want to be alone. All of our friends were here. They all have gone home. <laughs> it's such a hot take. I love it. This is just flaming. This is the first track off of the photo album, which is a really excellent album. I listened to all of it last night when I was like, I should listen to Steady Your Footing one more time. Um, And then I listened to the whole thing. It's all very good. Yeah, I mean, that is also one of the risks of picking the first song off a record that you love. You're inevitably just going to listen to the whole thing at that point. There's not much to be done. That's just how it is. But really, I would say like the first half of this album, especially like the first seven of the full 14 songs are like seven of some of my favorite Death Cab songs. They're very, very good. And they're also very Death Cab for Cutie. This one is quite brief and it is quite simple. 
and it is uh like i said before it's it's uh the greatest song ever written is that what i said this is what you said why um why do you feel that way about it uh i think it's self-evident gabe i don't think it's self-evident i mean i think it's an excellent song but why is it the greatest song ever written i think it's just perfectly put together there's no moment of this song that is too much or too little. It is an excellent example. Maybe the fine. Well, no, I think it's an excellent example of Ben Gibbard's like vivid songwriting. Lyrically, you mean? Yeah, lyrically. Um, I'd like to get to the instrumentation also, but I think lyrically is maybe the place to start because it's Ben yes. Gibbard, and that's like you know that's his thing. He, he that's I mean this is something that I think as a songwriter he does better than almost anybody else of the last couple decades, which is that he can really place the listener in the moment of the song. And his songs tend to be very, like, story-based. Like, they're not so abstract. They're taking place at specific moments in time uh, with, like, characters, and there's a scene. And, you know, like, we'll talk about this probably also with my song, but he, like, just drops you in, and you see, like, I can picture everything here, right? Like the front porch and the cigarette and like the like awkwardness of it like it's perfect it's true the lyrics are very straightforward and they're also at this at the same time they're very evocative and that's what i mean by there's there's no moment that's too much or too little it perfectly puts you in that moment without like over explaining anything but also without under explaining anything one other thing that I want to say about the lyrics before we get to the instrumentals is the iconic last line, which is, I let you bum a smoke, you quit this winter past. I've tried twice before, but like this, it just would not last. Uh, and then the song ends, which I think is another example of like how that's perfectly done. And I feel like if you just read it, I don't know. I feel like there's there's a way that this it, that's like towing the line of a little cheesy. But I think it's grounded in, like, in the rest of the song. It doesn't sort of pop out of nowhere, and it's... it Or it does pop out of nowhere. I don't know what to say about that. It's like, I think the fact that it's um, represented in this, like, offer of a cigarette, this, like, letting someone bum a smoke, how that just, like, that almost, like, perfunctory exchange, which is sort of nothing but because you have the whole first half of the song you understand all of the subtext of that exchange then that expanded interpretation of that in the mind of the narrator and in your mind really works and is punctuated by the song ending after only like two minutes i let you bomb smoke you quit this winter past I've tried twice before, but like this, it just will not last. Gibbard is really excellent at creating these scenes extremely quickly, right? Like, he's, no, there's not like he doesn't need to explain a lot of detail. So much can be transferred through subtext here. And I think that that's true in a lot of his music. I liked you saying that it toes the line of cheesy. Because I also think that's a statement that could be generalized to a lot of Ben Gibbard's songwriting. Yeah. Uh, and I think it toes it excellently, right? Like, you never right. quite feel like it's ridiculous or, like, corny. But here's the thing. The song is not just lyrics. There's also, there's also music to this, which is, uh, 
I think, a very important counterpart and maybe one that because it's Ben Gibbard, uh, you're maybe not as uh, aware of, but I think that it it complements the lyrics perfectly in here. So it's very simple. It's mostly just like an electric guitar playing some very spare little chords and some bass drum in the like middle second verse they add an organ and then in that in this little like refrain almost i mean it only happens twice but then it's guitar but mixed a lot differently much more upfront with everything else cut out the people we've met in the last five years and will we remember them in ten more very simple um, and I, I mean, it's it's almost unnecessary for me to explain all the parts to it, but I want to like emphasize how few parts there are to it and how simply and uh, successfully they are put together and taken apart. What strikes me most here is that you could just get away with only having the guitar. Absolutely. Like everything else is extra to some degree, but it's so good. Like the bass drum is such a nice touch. In particular, I think. Yeah. And it's like subtle. It's very much in the background, like reverbed out. And it lets the focus shine on the guitar and the lyrics. And then when the organ comes in, it's like surprising. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know that there was going to be more to the instrumentation. And Gabe, when does the organ come in and give you that surprise? During the heart attack. Very clever. Wow. Yes, you gave me a heart attack. I did not see you there. That's when that comes in. So that comes right in there. And the whole exchange of the narrator and this uh, object of his affections is framed by that by that organ. You gave me a heart attack. I did not see. I thought you had disappeared so early away from here and this is the chance I never got like it's like holy shit she's here I, this is this is my chance I can do we can we can actually have this conversation that I thought would never happen and then it cuts to just guitar as the conversation actually happens which is just like talking sort of about nothing and new friends and old friends and the future and just sort of vague things with just this guitar that feels much closer than the previous guitar and because everything else is cut out it feels much more intimate then it goes back to the electric guitar and the bass drum those last two lines that i mentioned before and then just that close intimate guitar by itself once again yeah it's awesome how much can get packed into like what, less than two minutes of music. There's these different moods, which to me in this short song correspond to different, like different perspectives on the same brief moment. So you have that electric guitar and bass drum for most of the song. And that's sort of in the moment, um, you know, you're probably intoxicated sitting outside of the remains of the party that's, you know, none of your friends are really here anymore. Um, people are heading out. And then she walks out, joins you on the porch, and that's when the organ comes in and makes it more full. It swells into uh, this moment of talking to one another. And um, 
that's where it cuts into just the intimate guitar. And that to me feels separated from being in the moment. That's, you can only have that thing after it's already happened, right? To say like, what did we actually talk about? Here are the things that we actually talked about. That's like a, that's like a retrospect sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and that feels like afterwards, like at the end of that night, you are back home, you are in your room and thinking like that was the moment and kind of biffed it. <laughs> and then it goes back for those last two lines and then it doesn't last. It just goes to the intimate guitar, just uh, him by himself once more. Have I convinced you that this is the best song ever written? No, but you have convinced me why it's your favorite song ever written. <laughs> Gabe, you have a song from a different Ben Gibbard project, but one that is also very famous. You're not pulling out some like all-time quarterback shit here. Yeah, all-time quarterback, by the way, is another Ben Gibbard project that nobody knows about, and I don't haven't really listened to anything off of either, so I don't know anything. But this is the Postal Service which many people are familiar, particularly for the song Such Great Heights. Mm -hmm. um, they only released one record, Give Up, and this is off that record, of course. This is Clark Gable. So the Postal Service is Ben Gibbert, obviously, and uh, Jimmy Tamborello. Uh, they only made this one album together. Um, Jimmy Tamborello is Dantel. Is that how you pronounce it? Dantel? Dintel? It's Dintel. It, it's spelled D-N-T-E-L, all capital, um, which is basically his work as a producer, uh, DJ, electronic music artist. Tamborello is the one who does all the production for the Postal Service, and uh, Gibbert does the songwriting and the lyrics. Um, so you have two very good musicians getting to play specifically to their strengths. They were, are, were called the Postal Service uh, because that's how they communicated. You know, this is like, this record comes out in 2003. It's like difficult and slow to send things over the internet. So literally they would send each other, or I guess Tamborello would send tracks, the production tracks, to... Ben Gibbard, who would then like edit things together and add his vocals over top, um, and that's how the album was put together. And and some instrumentation, you know, drums and stuff too. And and we see that on this song. Not all of the music is uh, just electronic. There's also some acoustic elements added, which yeah, Ben Gibbard adds. Um, interestingly enough, they were sued by the U.S. Postal Service for the <laughs> the moniker. Um, which, Andrew, I'm sure you're aware of all the stories, but for our listeners' sake, the way that they agreed to, like, resolve the dispute is, uh, I guess the Postal Service played a free concert at, like, some Postal Service, like, the United States Postal Service Expo, and also, like, agreed to do, like, positive marketing for USPS. And for a while, the United States Postal Service sold this record on their like internet store, which is amazing. Um, especially in these times that can be appreciated uh, because we want to support 
the United States Postal Service. Um, I don't know if you can any longer buy this album from them, but if you could, you should. Yeah, or just buy this album somewhere else and then send it to someone in a package. Yeah, there you go. My freshman year of college, mm-hmm. um, where I would like uh, have to do engineering labs, like which just took hours. So I would just sit and listen to this album on repeat while I was like basically coding. And it was perfect for that. Because it got you in sort of a science sort of frame of mind. Well, it's soothing to listen to, but also like during the boring parts of the lab, you can like tune in to Ben Gibbard singing more. And he's like always telling some story that you can get invested in. Like this story about a man in London trying to make a film where he's kissing his ex dramatically as if he were Clark Gable. Well, specifically in a style Clark Gable would have admired. Amazing. What I enjoy probably the most about the Postal Service, though, now, in retrospect, is some of the contrast in like the style and the production style between the Postal Service and Death Cab, which allows uh, Gibbard's songwriting to shine in two very different contexts. Um, and like we talked about with Stead Your Footing, um, on, on Clark Gable, you again get like dropped into this narrative with few details and then some and, and you're like dropped into the story right and you really can visualize all of it and then some let's say more elevated meaning gets gets added um into that context i was waiting for a cross town train in the london underground when it struck me Um, I will say there's a pretty confusing moment, though, if you've never listened to this song before, where the opening line, maybe this is intentional, the opening line of the song is, I was waiting for a cross-town train in the London Underground when it struck me, which really sounds like he's getting hit by a train. Oh, <laughs> I've literally never thought of that before. Uh, <laughs> but I just... The, it's so evocative, like this line, I need you to pretend that we are in love again and you agree to as a, a like analysis or metaphor, uh, symbolism of like trying to, like what is real, I guess, right? Like is this love, does it mean anything? Can we just recreate it in like an artificial way? I don't know, can we? I mean, I don't I mean, that's the question, right? And then the chorus, I want so badly to believe that there is truth, that love is real. And like the idea of like these facades that we place in our lives. Yeah, it's probably my favorite song off this record now. Although it wouldn't have always been. No, why not? I don't know. It's, it feels like one of these songs where you need to be a little bit older than 18 to really get every uh, ounce of meaning out of it. And like even now, probably I'll look back in like 10 years and feel differently about it again. Yeah. Which is something that I love about really good music, that every time in your life you revisit it, you can approach it with a different perspective and it can offer you something new. And I think that's true with all art. But with music, I get, you know, I listen to this record and I get placed like in a very specific place in the world and at a very specific time because of where I listen to it so regularly. Like I can imagine myself sitting in a particular like little cafe on campus where I went to school, like doing work, listening to this album, and now listening to it 
like, you know, seven years later, I like still see myself in that place. But, you know, I as a human being have grown and changed so much in that time that I get to also like look back at what my perspective was on the song then and what it is now and get that comparison. And I don't feel that way necessarily as much with like reading a book or watching a movie. It, I don't get dropped into like places and times in my life when I do that. I want so badly to Um, I would say that there is one best moment of this song, and it was always the best moment, and I imagine that it always will be, no matter what point in your life you look back at it. Uh, is this the drums into the synth horns? No, although that's also a very good moment, as are the drums at the very end uh, with, yes. the, with the claps. But no, the, what I'm talking about is the marker snapped. Why? <laughs> I guess. Because it's so good. Because they have the marker snapping. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can clap along with it. It's fun. I love a song where, like, if you know the song already, there's some, like, small thing you can do in it. Um, Like this. Yeah, it's like the Friends theme song. Right. It's exactly like the Friends theme song in that you're clapping. Um, and in the Friends theme song, it's very important that you do four claps, not five claps. And in this one, it's just very important you do it right in the middle of this line. Uh, where you otherwise might not expect it. Um, this is another excellent example of Ben Gibbard walking the cheesy line. I feel like there's got to be a better word for that. The the Proveline. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> that is actually, I mean, that's the best thing you could have said. I know. I think I, I, think I nailed it, but it was, never yeah. gonna, it was just never going to get better than that. It was just always going to be bad. Scripted call for rain, but it was clear that day, so we faked it. The marker snapped, and I yelled quiet on the set, and then called action. Andrew, why don't you tell us about your new pick? Uh, the song that I have is called Last Week by Carmen Canedo. In and out of the same routine I'm rolling up with the windows down And making my way to the kitchen More one less intermission mm -hmm. uh, I was not aware of Carmen Canedo before this weekend and I wasn't sure what in the way of interesting stuff was coming out besides some stuff that was probably not going to be not going to work for this podcast more on that later and so I did what I often do which is listen to like the NPR new music thing figuring like oh there probably won't be that much stuff because I didn't recognize a lot of names on it and then I heard this and thought oh well this is probably going to be it huh and I heard then I heard a bunch of other stuff that was also very good but this definitely came out on top I had probably half of this album on my maybes list before whittling it down to the final track of the album last week. I also listened to the NPR playlist and listened to the song and thought, 
but not it wasn't the song the another song off the album on the playlist and thought i bet andrew's gonna pick something from her <laughs> you were right um i just found this this whole album uh is really beautiful really beautifully written and beautifully rendered and some of the like key lines especially in this song are specific but kind of mundane in their content and what i mean by that is like one of the uh repeated lines is you were the only one that i told i know that won't make it change where it's like that's clearly about something specific but it doesn't have any details in it they're like oh here's the reveal of what what is happening you know it's just like it sort of clearly means something to her and therefore means something to me because it is depicting that but it's it it has such power without um being some sort of like wild revelation you are the only I mean, it's exactly the style that you love and this kind of music that you make. Yeah, except it's good. Um, the first line of this song is, last week I took my only body and ran around the room, which is just so good because that is so um, external, but it's about herself, right? Or it's about the narrator herself, whatever. But like, that's something that you say to someone judging their actions, right? Sure. Like, that's when you would use that sort of phrase, like, you're taking your only body and running it around the room. I just like the implication that other people have multiple bodies. <laughs> I don't know that that is the implication. No, I mean, not not exactly that way, but, but like, really emphasizing the idea that there's only one, which is kind of a weird thing to emphasize because everybody knows that, but it's like... Yeah, and I, I, that's the thing where it's 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 external because that's something that, like, she's saying about herself afterwards right like it being like this is like embarrassing you're taking your only body and running it around the room implying like you shouldn't be doing that um which she's saying to herself and it's just an interesting turn of phrase to say i took my only body and and use that uh term to talk about yourself i also love the line more wine less inhibition i i mean rhyming inhibition with kitchen is a marvelous little stroke of songwriting genius. Last week I took my only body and ran around the room looking for space next to you or for something with a view that will last. I also the chorus of this song you don't need me now happen once in a while is just is very heartbreaking and is interplayed with the guitar beautifully that that like folk picking style is just wonderful we'll do a whole thing about guitar picking and stuff at some point but for now let me just say that this it's really beautiful and the um she has these after that line of the chorus there's this really nice uh hammer-ons which means like you play a, a a note on the guitar and then you fret a, a higher fret so that it changes the note. Bono. 
that's a hammer on. Yeah. It's the dun, 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 dun. That's what she's doing there. Um, you'll hear it. I'll put a clip in it. It's not just me talking. Um, and I just, I think that's just really beautiful. And it um, is a really excellent use of the guitar to like echo the, the feeling from, uh, from the lyrics. The 59th Street Bridge song, Feeling Groovy by Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> I do see how that happened. Echo, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh man, you should leave that in. Wow, that's so funny. <laughs> <sighs> wow, incredible. have brought a song from the East LA band Los Lobos. Wow. Um, sort of a Zydeco kind of... Not quite, Andrew, but I do see how you got confused. This is from the LA-based artist Loyal Lobos. Uh, oh, her okay. debut record, Everlasting, and the song is titled Rosas Negras. Now, you know that we did Roses like two weeks ago, right? I know you were sick, so you might have thought things were like you know, uh, some sort of fever dream, but that one's already done. <sighs> Darn it. Uh, well, hold on. Let me go find a different song. Okay. I'll wait. Oh, no, but this is a black rose. Um, this is about dead roses in particular. So, you know, it's kind of a different vibe than like Blue Roses or Portland. <laughs> okay. And it's a great song. Um, so uh, Loyal Lobos is Andrea Silva. Uh, she is. Uh, she was born and raised in Bogota, uh, the capital of Colombia, and then moved to the United States, to Los Angeles in particular, at the age of 18. Um, and then a few years later has put out this um, debut record, Everlasting. I think the first important note I would like to make is that this is the second wonderful piece of, like, slightly alt pop uh out of colombia uh this year um lito pimenta put out a record uh in i want to say april that was also amazing and she is also from colombia silva claims that her record was particularly inspired by colombian telenovelas which if you're not familiar with this idea is that these are very dramatic, usually Latin American uh, television shows uh, that are like soap operas, but like amped up with like melodrama. I don't, it's like a very specific genre of television. And I think you see that a little bit less on this song, but I definitely understand the influence on other music. This song in particular is all sung in Spanish, although 
I'd say actually 75% of the record is sung in English. However, something that I adore about any artist that does this is that she, A, put the lyrics to all her songs on Bandcamp, and she also put in her own translations of the Spanish lyrics. Um, So you get an actual translation from the artist, which by its nature is going to be more true than like me explaining what the words in Spanish mean to you, the listener. Right. Um, and, you know, adding my own interpretation that way, which um, is less true. Um, But before we get to any sort of lyrical content, I just want to really talk about this Barry saxophone. (laughs) Uh, As a baritone saxophone player myself, anytime that this very deep saxophone appears on any song, it's amazing, and it adds such character. Um, The Barry sax is really the lowest of the traditionally seen saxophones, although there are lower ones. Um, I mean, people do classically say that baritone saxophonists are the lowest of the low. But I don't know if that has anything to do with pitch. Ouch. Um, but it's like so... Anyway, so this saxophone is like drenched in reverb and feels like kind of blissed out in a summer way. Yeah, I just love the tone that it adds to the song. And it mixes really well with the percussion style on this song. So the the lyrics are sung at a really slow pace for most of the song. Oh, that's my favorite part of the song, how slow those lyrics are. And it, the contrast to like this really vibrant Barry saxophone and the percussion, which is like, has some really great sort of traditional Latin percussion elements. This feels like an overgeneralization for all of Latin American music, which, you know, is a part of the world that stretches like a couple thousand miles in length and is wildly diverse. But I think one sort of constant from, you know, like Chile to 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 Mexico or the United States even is excellent grooving percussion. Um, I think I really noticed the thing about the slow lyrics because um, you told me when you sent me the song that the translation, the lyrics and and their translation were available on Bandcamp. So as I listened to the song for the first time, I was looking at the lyrics. I was reading both the Spanish and the English, and it just had so much time to get through that whole uh, very first line, and it was just amazing, and I, I was I was just thrilled by it. It's something like that she pulls off spectacularly well. Although when I first listened to the song, I had no idea what she was saying on the first line. Like I could not parse the lyrics at all. No. Until the second time I listened to it. It's worth noting that you do speak Spanish. <laughs> like it's not like you're I didn't know either, but No, I mean Spanish is not my first language, but I speak it fairly well. Um and normally I can understand uh, lyrics can be a little bit difficult as they are for any like second language um, just because the rhythms are all off and different but wow it's just like the all of the vowels got so stretched out and <laughs> you know the opening line translates to the roses you gave me are black which is like sung at a dirge pace <laughs> which really fits yeah and what's great is that it is it's i mean the uh word order is the same in Spanish. So it's the roses that you gave me are, that takes like fucking 10 minutes. And then it says they're black, like at the end. And like, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, she leaves out some of the nuance in the English translation, um, but yes. 
one thing I love about Spanish as a language is the way it sounds in both music and poetry, because um, I think it's really beautiful and melodic as a language in general, um, as like a romance language, but it has this edge uh, on its consonants sometimes. Um, and especially at the beginning of the second verse, it works just so well in Spanish in a way that it doesn't uh, doesn't translate in English. It sounds incredible, yeah. which is, I'm just going to read the Spanish. Mi cigarillo cesa, quema lento. Just like all of the consonants and uh, the alliteration that goes into that. My cigarette ends slow burning. Just very, uh, like, very dark in thematic content and... Just yeah, the the lyrics just like taste delicious in Spanish, if that makes sense. I, I it makes a lot of sense. I was really grateful full for having both the English translation, so I knew what the song was about, but also for having the Spanish transcription, so that I could read it along and like really savor all of those uh, all of the sounds. Andrew, any other albums of or singles of note? Uh, I want to start with um, something that I referenced earlier, which is a piece of music that came out this week that I that we agreed was not right in format for our show, but I thought was really, really excellent and wanted to talk about, which is uh, the new single track 45-minute album by The Microphones entitled Microphones in 2020. Now, the microphones is Phil Elverum. He, he used the name the microphones from like the mid 90s to like 2003 or something. It's like a, it's basically a solo project, but like other people would kind of play it on the album. It's sort of, you know, the microphones is just sort of like a name. And that's actually a lot of what this song explores in some ways is what does it mean to, to be making a song as the microphones rather than his other project which uh, in 2003, as the microphones, he put out an album called Mount Erie. And then from then forward, he made music as Mount Erie. Which is the music that I'm far more familiar with. Which makes sense, because that's the music from 2003 to present, uh, rather than 1990-whatever to 2003. Yeah. And there's, I, I think there is some, like, slight shift in sort of the vibe, but I think it's, like, I think if he hadn't changed his name, I, you wouldn't really notice that things had changed that that dramatically between the microphones and Maniuri. One of the things that he's most well known for is unfortunately a, a terrible tragedy that happened to him and his family, which is his wife of many years and, and mother of his daughter uh, passed away from, uh, I believe, pancreatic cancer in like 2015, 2016, something like that. That sounds right. Um, and he put out an album soon after, or not soon after that, but he put out an album um, about that experience called A Crow Looked at Me, which is just all about experiencing that kind of death, which is also like a lot of his work as the microphones and as Mount Erie in the past is pretty grand uh, in terms of perspective and thinks a lot about death. He has a whole uh, album as the microphones that's like a concept album of him like dying and getting eaten by vultures. And so uh, one of the things that this piece of music that he just released this weekend 
does is talk about himself as a young person, as the the Phil Elverum who who was the microphones, making music and thinking about these grand concepts and wondering if and wondering now in retrospect after having like really experienced those things firsthand um, and in very heartbreaking ways what that means for the music of the past what that means for what he considers to be the microphones um, what it means for him just as a person it's it's a 45 minute piece of music I put it on with a thought of like, well, I'll, I'll try to like pay attention as long as I can, you know, maybe I'll like maybe take a nap in the middle of it. Who knows? <laughs> um, but I, my attention was completely like grabbed by it the, the entire time. It's it's a really uh, wonderful piece of music. And I would recommend uh, allotting 45 minutes and sitting down and checking it out, especially if you um, are familiar with uh, the microphones and or Mount Erie. Falling slow. I decided I would try to make music that contained this deeper peace buried underneath distorted bass fog imbued with light and emptiness. I kept on driving out to the ocean. For those of you who are like more into like chill wave or summer hazy music. Um, Washed Out put out their new record titled Purple Noon, which is just a perfect encapsulation of their style that I thought was really good. Portland-based rapper Amine put out his new record, which is titled Limbo, which as of right now is one of my favorite like hip-hop records of the year. Just great blend of uh, MC skill and really good songwriting craft and complex themes. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he did really well. Um, there's an album by Jordan Laning called Little Idols that I thought was really wonderful. Um, and there was also a live album put out by Mountain Man. Uh, Mountain Man is a trio that I think has come up in conversation on this podcast before because uh, we have talked about both Sylvan Esso and uh, Daughter of Swords, two of the three uh, women who form Mountain Man. Um, this is a really excellent, it's, you know, it's it's a lot of their songs that you know. There's also a good amount of stage banter. One of those groups that I wish I I could have seen live before when that was a thing. And, uh, oh, and Friend of the Pod, Christian Lee Hudson. Oh, yes. Put out a set of three covers on Bandcamp, which uh, he titled the EP The Version Suicides, which I love. Yeah, we can finally say Christian Lee Hudson, Friend of the Pod, huh? Yeah, finally. Now that he's become our friend. Um, but it's really great. It's a cover of Fat Lip, Pursuit of Happiness, Yes, the Kid Cudi one, and Going Away to College, which I saw those three tracks. I was like, okay, Fat Lip, Going Away to College. Pursuit of Happiness was like, the Kid Cudi song? It can't be the Kid Cudi song. It's got to be like some Three Doors Down song that I don't know, right? Because it's sandwiched between Sum 41 and Blink-182. Right. But no, it is the Kid Cudi song, and it's great. All of them are great, um, and they are in uh, his sort of trademark style which i noticed while on Bandcamp that he has tagged bummer core <laughs> um and i think it's awesome andrew there was one other release that came out yesterday i think uh that i thought maybe you'd like to talk about what are you kidding me no wait what are we what am i missing 
Um, so Andrew, you have a musical project. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> totally forgot about that. What? Uh, yeah, I, I put out some. I put out like five minutes worth of music this weekend. Yeah. So Andrew, you can find Andrew's music under the moniker True Partridge on Bandcamp. Um, and you should check that out. We'll drop links. There's four tracks on here. One is uh, a song that I wrote last week. Um, and one that is a, is a song that I wrote at the beginning of the quarantine. Those are each about like two minutes, two and a half minutes. And then there's two like v- very little snippet scrap tracks in the middle. And I uh, put it on my uh, distribution platform. And they told me that because the average song length was less than 60 seconds, they would not allow me to release it. Um, now, I did do the math. You might have noticed because I said two minutes, two and a half minutes. There's four songs. The, the average song length is 90 seconds, which I acknowledge is also not very long, but it's also not the number that they said was the uh, minimum. So I don't know what the deal is there, but I just decided, fuck it. Like, who cares? It's not like it needs to be on streaming service. So if you want to listen to that, it's uh, you can get it for free on, on Bandcamp. It does feel more like a Bandcamp exclusive release. Yeah, I mean, they're phone demos. There's, like, literally nothing done to this. I put a little tiny bit of reverb on the title track, Tethers. Um, also, if people aren't aware, I, I know we tweeted about it. Um, Bandcamp, and I guess we kind of missed it this month, but Bandcamp's doing uh, Bandcamp Fridays for just, like, the foreseeable future where um, if you, I guess it's the first Friday of every month, all of the proceeds of the music goes directly to the artist as opposed to Bandcamp taking its usual cut. So that's a great way to really support artists um, in this time. Um, like and all your money gets to go towards their work. Um, and it's really cool that Bandcamp's doing that, I think. And it's good for their platform, obviously. Um, but especially right now, I think Bandcamp is an amazing platform that you should support. And if you can buy musicians' music that you like off of Bandcamp, that's like one of the best ways to you know, support artists that, going forward. Yeah, and... and- like you said, the the platform Bandcamp is itself great, both for doing this and and just its openness and availability and and it's the fact that its cut is quite small and it lets you pick all your pricing and stuff like that. So even if it's not Bandcamp Friday, you should support your artists. So that's it for our show this week. You can follow us on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod. Uh, we have a Spotify playlist with the tracks from this show. We'll be back on August eighteenth with more tunes and more grooves. But for now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Pressed.